as I've gone through the years of collaborating with different songwriters and different artists, my mission has become even more about trying to help an artist say what they want to say in the most effective way possible and being a little bit of a chameleon that sort of helps with that process and helps with the song. From the suburbs of Charm City, Baltimore, Maryland, welcome to Pelham Place. Casual conversations with some of the most interesting people in the world whose stories and experiences will help you live, learn, and grow. Here's your host, Jay Pelham. Labeled as one of the best songwriters in the business by Nashville's Music Row magazine, Victoria Banks has been nominated for 11 Canadian Country Music Association Awards and was named CCMA Female Artist of the Year and Songwriter of the Year in 2010. Most recently, Victoria co-wrote three songs on the groundbreaking 2020 EP Bridges by the Grammy-nominated Mickey Guyton, including What Are You Gonna Tell Her?, which made history as the first original song performed by a Black woman on the ACM Awards. Her songs have been recorded by over 100 artists, and if you know the names Sarah Evans, Jessica Simpson, Carly Pierce, Lauren Elena, Cassidy Pope, The Shires, or have watched shows like Nashville, American Idol, or Dancing with the Stars, you have likely heard one of Victoria's songs. She recently appeared on NBC's Songland and became a podcast host with the launch of The Table Women, exploring the ups and downs of the female experience in entertainment through interviews with notable women and men in the industry. Victoria, welcome. Hi. Hey, how are you? Good. How are you doing? I'm good. It's awesome to uh, to talk to you. It, it's so funny. I was just sitting here reading reading the questions that I sent you last week, and um, I was thinking about that that episode of Songland because yes. it was uh, it was really funny. I mean, I've I have a little bit of of I've dabbled in music biz for a while, so mm-hmm. I'm familiar with a lot of the the things that go on in the background and and how um, things aren't always as they seem. So when yes. I see a show that is supposed to be undiscovered songwriters, right. I'm like, you know, I'm thinking about it. I'm like, she's really not undiscovered. <laughs> but but it's so cool because um, because the episode was you were your song. I can't even remember the, the song now, but oh, yeah, um, that's a country song. It was called your song. That's right. Yeah. Um, your, I was like, this is this is the one they're going to pick. And I was so disappointed when they didn't. And so, you know, of course, I had to go follow you and see what else you were up to and, um, you know, getting your email list and everything. So it was really cool. Um, And it's been it's been really, really awesome to just kind of follow your story and see a lot of what has happened um, in your life and in your career before that point. Yes. Um, Which is, is so there's not a lot of musicians that keep a blog on their website. Yeah, so that's, that's, that's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of been, been a lot of years of <laughs> a lot of years of working behind the scenes. So I'm like, I should, I should just kind of tell people what it's like, <laughs> you know? So as you know, I first got to know you on the uh, NBC show Songland. And for listeners who aren't familiar with the show, Songland gives undiscovered songwriters the opportunity to pitch their songs to superstar recording artists and producers. The catch is that you're also competing against other songwriters who are pitching to the same artist. You had the opportunity to pitch your song to Florida Georgia Line. What was that experience like? 
So it was really cool and it was a little bit scary because, you know, when you get invited to go on the show, you don't know who the artist is. So I, you know, you show up and you know what your song is going to be, but you don't know who, who you're going to be pitching to and you really don't know what goes on behind the scenes. I've watched the show quite a bit and was a fan of the show and I loved how it presented songwriters to the public because you know, songwriting to me, of course, is immensely interesting and enjoyable, but to share that with other people is hard because if you're watching people write a song, the actual songwriting process is just a lot of silence and staring at the wall and <laughs> trying to come up with ideas. And it's not interesting enough to really make a TV show out of that part of the process. And they've figured out how to capture uh, the interesting elements of the songwriting process and and do it as a rewrite so that that makes it happen a lot quicker on TV and, and then the audience can actually see a little bit of the magic that happens when it changes from, uh, when you change a song a little bit, how much that can magically change everything about the song. So, um, so yeah, I went and, and sort of, thought, well, okay, I'll say yes to, I always try to say yes to the things that scare me. That's my, my policy and it's helped me a lot in life. So I, I said yes and I showed up and lo and behold, it was Florida Georgia Line and, and I, was, I was the only girl and I was like, wow, and I get to sing my song as a girl and the song was written for a man to sing, but, you know, being a woman, I was like, well, I'll just present it the best that I can and, um, and it was a lot of fun. It, the people... Uh, that work on the team are songwriting aficionados and they are very excited to be a part of it. And you could feel that support from the moment that you got there. So um, I really enjoyed it. That's really cool. Did you know uh, any of the Florida Georgia Line guys before that, that time? No, I had worked in some of the same circles and had collaborated with some of the same songwriters that they have worked with before, but I didn't know any of them in person at all. I'd never met them. So that and was my first, my first time. you didn't know ahead of time? No, my first time meeting them was literally the moment that is on camera when I walk into the room and there they are sitting, sitting in the chairs. Yeah. Wow. That's really cool. So obviously one episode of Songland is... I can't remember. Is it? An, I think it's an hour, um, yeah. hour long episode. Mm-hmm. Covers everything the in, the initial meeting of the artist, the initial pitch, um, the you know the back and forth of the the producers talking about the songs and what they would what they envision for the song, uh, and the final and and then working with those producers after the artists decide which three they're going to choose from, and then the final song performance by the songwriter as it's envisioned for the artist and the artist selecting that song. Obviously, that doesn't all happen in an hour or even a day. Uh, How long does that actually, that whole process for you in that one episode, how long did that actually take? Well, it takes somewhere between five, six days and two weeks, depending on um, how everything is scheduled. They actually film multiple episodes at the same time, which is um, very cool for the participants because we're all in the same hotel. We all get to hang out and you get to meet the other songwriters on the other show. So we were filmed at the same time as the Usher episode and we got to hang out with the songwriters that were on that episode. And it was, it was a, a, a great experience because we would 
hang out in the in the hotel room and talk songwriting. And um, of course, Usher's songwriters were very pop. They had a lot of pop background. The Florida Georgia Line songwriters, we were all from Nashville. <laughs> so we, we were just sharing stories and finding so much in common and playing songs for each other. And we spent a ton of time together behind the scenes. And a lot of it, as in TV, you know, usually is it's, it's hurry up and wait. So you're sitting around in your hotel for a full day and then all of a sudden you're going to have a 6 a.m. call time to go and get a bunch of filming done. So you'll you'll spend a full day on location just filming little background clips that show the little introduction reel um, for each songwriter before they even walk in the room. And that's like a full day of filming on some location that's a few hours away. Uh, they find different places for each team to make it look interesting. And, and then you have uh, the walking in in the first place and the performing the song. And that's a, basically a full day to take everybody in there to perform their song. And, um, and then after that, the ones that are chosen to stay will collaborate to change the song, which is about a, a day long process to do that. And then they'll have another day that's filming the, the presentation, the representation of the new song. And there's another day, which is just the sitting in a chair being interviewed because they cut in between, you know, the little interview clips in between everything else. So, um, it's basically sort of a day for each aspect of, of the scenes that you see. Um, and then they mix them all together within different episodes to schedule, depending on how their, their crew needs to work. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's a process for sure. It is. Yeah. It's funny, you know, it's always funny TV when you see something that takes, you know, one minute on the screen and it took days and days and days to get that lunch, that one minute. Exactly. And, you know, I think with, um, uh, you know, obviously everybody has a, a certain view of what the songwriting process should be like. And, and, you know, I know there's a lot of things that happen in, in the show that are very similar to, uh, the songwriting process, but clearly it's, it's not like that. You're not, you're not pumping out a song and, uh, having it selected by an artist, you know, the next day or anything like that. There is is definitely um, a big difference of, in the reality of songwriting. And, uh, you know, so I appreciate you, uh, you giving us that little insight there. You, in my opinion, are not an undiscovered songwriter. Um, you're a veteran songwriter on Music Row. Uh, your songs have been recorded by hundreds of artists, including Saints and Angels by Sarah Evans, Come On Over by Jessica Simpson, uh, you've got hundreds of other songs uh, being performed by by artists on the radio. You also have your own recordings. Uh, but most recently, and I think th this is um, one of the coolest things that that I think you could be involved in um, in recent years is the co-writes that you have on Mickey Guyton's EP, uh, Bridges, um, including What Are You Going to Tell Her, which obviously uh, she had a just amazing performance on the ACM awards with Keith Urban and uh, it was a historic moment for her and uh, the historic moments keep, keep rolling in for her um, and, and well-deserved, obviously. Um, how does it feel just to be connected to such a historic moment in country music? That's huge for me. So I moved to Nashville in 1997 and my goal 
was to be the best songwriter I could be. I was never really interested in being an artist, a performer that I kind of fell into doing that uh, on the side, but it's always been about the songs and it's always been about trying to figure out how to craft songs that are meaningful and powerful and say something important. And, um, as I've gone through the years of collaborating with different songwriters and different artists, my mission has become even more about trying to help an artist say what they want to say in the most effective way possible and being a little bit of a chameleon that sort of helps with that process and helps with the song. And I started working with Mickey Guyton uh, 10 years ago when she first had her record deal in Nashville. And I thought she was brilliant. I thought she was so such an incredibly talented vocalist, which of course she obviously is. Um, but the road for a female artist in Nashville is very difficult and even a hundred times more so for a black artist. And that's just the way it is. Um, and we have, we have a lot of work to do still in the country music business in those areas. And so with Mickey being a black woman, um, it was very difficult to get her career rolling. She had the record deal, the people at the label believed in her, but they didn't. They they kept trying to figure out what was going to be the magic recipe, what would be the song that they could release to radio that would break her career wide open. And there was this paralysis by analysis that went on for so many years because we wrote and wrote and wrote all these great songs that would have worked for probably any other artist. And yet the label would listen to them and say, oh, I don't know if it's country enough. They're not going to think she's country. They're going to think she's too pop. And then you'd turn in something really country and they'd say, ah, oh, it's just, it's too country. They're not going to believe it. They're not going to believe she's country. And, you know, it was just like, oh my gosh, this, this woman grew up on a dirt road in Texas, she is country. It does, it shouldn't matter what, you know, what she's doing. The country music realm is why, and it encompasses a lot of different sounds. But for Mickey, they just had to, I don't know, it, they were just really paralyzed with that, trying to figure it out. Mm. And it got to the point where eight years in, we were just really frustrated because we were seeing a lot of her counterparts who had signed deals around the same time as her flying up the charts and doing great, mostly men. Um, and then there, you know, just the challenges of females in, in Nashville, in the country, country music business, country radio limits their play of females to about 10, 10 to 20% of their playlists. And it's purposeful um, because they feel that their audience doesn't want to hear women on the radio. And there's a trickle down effect of that that makes it so that women don't get signed to record deals, women don't get signed to publishing deals. It's, it's almost impossible for a songwriter like me who writes from a female perspective to make a living. So we sat down in a room and we were just mad. We were, we'd had it, we were fed up. And we wrote the song, What Are You Gonna Tell Her? Which is basically, what are you going to tell a young girl who comes into the world believing that everything is equal and that she has a shot if she just dreams anything can happen and it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman or gay or straight or black or white. What are you gonna tell her when she finds out that's not true? And 
Mickey actually asked me that question because I have little daughters. I've got a three-year-old and a five-year-old. And she was like, what are you going to tell your girls? And I said, I don't know. I, I don't know if I should tell them. Should I warn them? Should I just let them figure it out for themselves? If I warn them, does that mean they're not going to try? I mean, all these questions you ask yourself, right? And we wrote that song and um, we had a moment when we were writing it that we thought, radio is not going to play this song. Do we still write it? Yes, we still write it. It does not matter if nobody ever hears this song because we need to write this song for ourselves. And so we did. And, and, um, and that of all things was the song that made the label suddenly think, okay, we're going to go for it. And so they had her perform it for all the radio programmers that came to country radio seminar in Nashville, who are, you know, worldwide radio programmers in the Ryman auditorium packed to the gills and Mickey getting up on this stage. And basically it's all the, everybody on the record label got up one after another and played one song. And so it was a lot of a lot of the dudes that you hear on country radio singing their songs about trucks and tailgates and girls, you know, all this stuff. And then Mickey gets up and she sings this song and it just absolutely slayed. And she got a standing ovation and it was just, you could feel that moment. It was so powerful. And the cool thing was that when I was on Songland, it was a week before that. And I, if I had, if my song had been chosen on Songland and I had been, I had stayed to write it with them, to rewrite it, I would have missed that moment. But because I was sent back home, I flew back to Nashville and I got to sit in the audience at the Ryman in the moment that that wow. happened and watch it happen and feel the energy of everybody hearing that. And shortly after that, of course, COVID happened and, and uh, Mickey kept putting these songs out and that song became her her performance song on the ACM Awards, and it was the very first time in 55 years of ACM history that a black woman had ever performed an original song. And to know that I'm a part of that, this has been a struggle. This road has been a struggle to, to make ends meet and to have the faith to keep doing it and not just go out and get, you know, go back to school or get a, get a job where I know where how I'm gonna feed my kids next month, you know? Um, but that moment to me has made it, I, I remember watching it, of course, from my couch because it's COVID. So I'm sitting in my pajamas on the couch instead of on the red carpet, but I try not to think too hard about what it could have been like, but I'm sitting on my couch watching it. And I'm thinking, if this is the only contribution I ever make to history, I'm happy. I'm satisfied. If I never get to write anything this important again, or anything that anybody else ever hears again, I'm satisfied. Because this was why I came to Nashville. I wanted to write things that matter. And I feel like this matters. So, yeah. It, it's an amazing story. It really is. And, um, you know, I can, I can feel the, um, just the emotion in, in you and just talking about it and, and, you know, thinking about that moment and, you know, I'm sure that's something that you'll carry with you until your final days. I mean, that's just an amazing, amazing story. Um, I want to switch gears real quick um, to talk a little bit about another moment um, that I I read about from your blog on your website. Um, I, I believe you posted it a few years before I knew who you were. 
And then uh, just through checking out your website, um, I, I came across this one blog post and uh, it was titled, Thank You, Garth. And it's, it's an amazing story. And I know that uh, at least from what I know from the blog post, it's still sort of hanging out there. Um, and I, I know you've probably had just a ton of moments with, with, you know, people in the industry, and I'm sure there's a lot of them that hold a special place in your heart, but I can't imagine um, any that are much bigger than a moment with Garth. And uh, so uh, can you just tell us a little bit about that? What was that experience like? Um, You know, how did, how did that all pan out? What happened? Well, um, that was a, that was a crazy experience. So usually as a songwriter, you know, the most you can hope for is to be the small print under someone else's name. And you are sort of the last afterthought in the process, both of being paid, but also of, of just being included in the process of a song being recorded, that kind of thing. Once an artist, if you pitch a song to an artist and they take it on to record it, usually that's the last contact you have with them, if you even had contact with them when that was done. And you never hear from them again, and you just watch it from afar after that. But Garth is a really different person. He's a really different artist. And he is first and foremost a songwriter. And you can see in the way that he treats the songwriters that he works with or that whose music he records. The, the song that my blog is about, I wrote years ago. I mean, I've been working as a songwriter on Music Row for 20 plus years. At the time, that song was about eight years old. I'd been going to the office every day, five days a week and writing a song a day, sometimes two, occasionally three. It's, it's a, you know, nose to the grindstone thing. And this song was just one of the many that had been written and was collecting dust on a shelf somewhere. And nobody had ever grabbed a hold of it. But somehow that song found its way into Garth's hands. And I think it was through someone who used to work with me who loved it and just sent it to him at some point. And all of a sudden I got this email in my inbox, not knowing anything about it. And it just said, Victoria, I'm such a huge fan of your songwriting and especially of your song, Midnight at a Red Light. I think it's beautifully written and I would very much like to record it if that's okay with you, Garth. <laughs> and I was like, Garth, Garth Brooks. If, if that's okay with you. If that's okay. It was so humble. And so I went back and I was like, absolutely, Garth, you do your thing. Would love for you to record it. And so he, it, it turned out to be sort of this competition between him and, and Trisha, where they both loved the song. And so they both recorded it and they were both very much like j- just trying to get it right. So they recorded it multiple times each. And then finally, I think Garth finally was the one that won out. And so he recorded it, I think five times total before he was happy with how it turned out. And on the fifth time, he emailed me and he said, Victoria, I think I nailed it. I got it. I'm so excited. It just needs some strings on it. Um, and this was right before his, uh, his comeback record, his big, huge comeback record where he had been retired and then came out of retirement. Mm-hmm. And so I emailed him back and I was like, Oh, Garth, that's so great. I'm so excited to hear that. And if, uh, if you need someone to play strings, I know a guy, this is me, you know, songwriter, I know a guy who's really good and he can play all the different instruments and he, I, I can give you his number if you want. And 
and he, he emails me back and he's like, well, actually, next week I'm flying the entire orchestra from L.A. to come here. And it's the one that played on all the Evanescence records. And, and I was like, oh, OK, go for it. And then and then so I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to have this song on Garth's record. This is so amazing. And I wrote it by myself and it's eight years old. And and what a crazy thing and what a life changing thing. And. So then the next thing that happens is I get an email from Garth and I go, and, and he goes, Victoria, I have really sad news for you. He said, I couldn't finish my vocals in time for the mixing deadline for the record on your song, but it turned out so beautifully and the orchestra played so beautifully on it. And I would really love for you to come and hear it if you would still like to hear it. And, and he said, just call me. Here's the number. So I called him up. And he said, yeah, I'm, I'm right across the street from you on Music Row because I was working there and, and that day. And he said, just come on across. I have to be at the ACM Awards tonight, but just come on across when you're done writing your song and I'll play it for you at the studio. So I remember going across the street in the pouring rain after I finished my song right. And there he was in the studio and he had his sweatshirt and his beanie hat on and, and, and just looked like Joe Schmo. And he said, come on in, I want to play it for you. And he sat me down at the big console and he was sitting next to me and he pressed play and it was absolutely beautiful. It was so beautiful what he had done with this song. And I remember the feeling of sitting there listening to the song and I could feel Garth sitting next to me and it was like he was watching me to see what my reaction was going to be. It was almost like he, he really wanted me to like it as the songwriter. And I mean, most people don't care, you know, they don't care right. what the songwriter thinks, but <laughs> he cared. And and I listened to it. I had tears streaming down my face. It was just beautiful. And, and, um, and then I had him sign the guitar that I wrote it on. And then we went on our way and... And I still hope that at some point, maybe it will find its way onto a future record, but it has never been released to this day. So wow. somewhere in the can is this beautiful <laughs> recording <laughs> that Garth did of my song. <laughs> and, it, it, you know, it's amazing when you when you think about how much effort and how much money goes into that process and, and yeah. recording a song that may, you know, I mean, for whatever reason, may not ever see the light of day, at least on a on a Garth Brooks record. Yeah. Um, I hope it does because yeah, so <laughs> it's, do I. It's such a cool story, and so uh, you know, obviously, also, I would I would love to hear it. It also shows you how how much he cares about his music, and a lot of musicians are are like that. Like true musicians, they want it to be right, and they will keep doing it over and over again until it's right for them. And it's not just about cranking something out and, and sending it out to make money. It's mu it's much deeper than that for him, exactly. obviously. And I appreciate that. There's a lot that. of pride that that he takes yeah. in 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 his uh, in his music, in his recording, in in his in his life. I mean, you can see it in everything that that he's involved in. That there's there's a very um, he's a very hands on. He comes across as being a very hands on person and and. Um, and he takes a lot of pride in that. So it is really cool. And, um, can you tell us what the song is? Yeah, it's, it's called Midnight at a Red Light. So it's, okay. it's a, it's a ballad story song with the twist. Um, and have so. you released it anywhere? Um, I don't 
think so, but I do share it with the, the people who subscribe to my my behind the scenes content on my on my website. So if you when you go to victoria.net, my website, it'll pop up and say put your email ad- address in and you can get three free songs and then that signs you up for my email list and and I have what I call songwriter oversharing where I'll send demos of unreleased songs, I'll send out um uh the the origin of a song like here's me croaking it into my iphone at 4 a.m the original idea and then here's what it sounded like a few hours later after writing it on the guitar and then here's what the demo sounded like and then here's what it sounded like when it went on the radio if it got to that point and so i like to share a lot of this the stories behind the songs with with the people who are interested and that's you know just a free little website subscription thing that people can can join but i i think i i share that song that demo of mine uh, with with the people who do that on my website. <laughs> Very cool. Well, we'll definitely make sure that that information's in the in the show notes and yeah. point people in that direction. I think it's a it's a really cool story, and and I know you've got a lot of really good nuggets um, for other other stories and other songs in there as well uh, to share with people. And I know that you have uh, your podcast, The Table. Yeah. Um, that that you need to to get to uh, recording here pretty soon. So real quick, before I let you go, I, I definitely want to uh, to talk about your show and um, and what that's all about because uh, you know I think it's a very important topic uh, in the industry these days, not only in the music industry but in in business uh, in the world in general. Um, and so your podcast is called The Table, and it discusses the female experience in the music industry. Um, like I said, it rightfully so is, is a hot topic in recent years. Um, so I'd love to just, just kind of get your take on, uh, on the topic and, uh, you know, give us a little bit of information about the podcast. Uh, maybe some of the people you've had on already and, and what, what's to come. Yeah. So this was something that I sort of fell into Right at the beginning of COVID, um, a friend, well, my co-host, Sarah DeFore, is on the podcast. She she approached me with the idea to to do this podcast on on women in, in entertainment and our the specifics of our journeys and our stories. And um, I was just fascinated with the idea of it because working behind the scenes in Nashville as a woman uh, has been a real challenge specifically because of my gender, um, because there are limits put on the ability of women to make money as artists, as songwriters, based on radio restrictions in playlists. And this is a real thing which should not exist and, and seems like it should be illegal, but yet it's not. It's it's free market, right? So um, it it's something that has been a topic of conversation behind the scenes for us for many years. And this podcast is just a way of bringing those conversations out into the open, which is where they should be. And so we thought, well, we'll have a different guest on each podcast and just talk about their experiences and um, they'll share their highs and their lows and any specific challenges or discrimination they have faced. And we've, we've delved into in season three speaking um, with people that are from different races, different sexual orientations. Um, we've spoken to some men as well in season two who have advocated for women. Um, 
And so we've had guests like, well, Mickey Guyton was in season one, Sarah Evans. Um, we've had uh, Maggie Rose, another incredible artist. We've had a lot of people who work in publishing behind the scenes. We've had uh, stylists to the stars. Well, we've had lawyers, um, all sorts of different, all sorts of different people. So it's always interesting to hear their stories and uh, sometimes they're sometimes they're very eye opening and very shocking in the things that they deal with from day to day, which uh, you'd be surprised that they're still happening in the world, <laughs> you know. So um, we just uh, we're, we're in season three now. We're starting to record our season three, and it just feels like something important to do with my spare time. <laughs> so that's my <laughs> hobby. <laughs> it's. It's definitely um, it, it's a it's a great show. I've listened to a few episodes, and um, you know, I, being that I I have connections to some other songwriters and other music industry folks, um, you know, from the agency side to the songwriter side to performers um, at different levels, it it is a very interesting topic. Um, it, and I've, I, you know, I think I've, I've been involved in music enough just at a very low level um, to see some of, of the problems. And, um, it, you know, I, I think it feels like there's been a lot of progress so far. Um, I, I think there's a long ways to go. Um, but I, you know, I am at least proud to know that, that, it seems like maybe not the majority, but a lot of people in the industry have finally opened their eyes to it and, um, and are, are coming together to, to make some change. Um, it's like you said, I mean, there are, there are definitely men in the industry who, who now are willing to advocate, um, where in the past I, you know, clearly I've seen, you know, the opposite. So, um, yeah. it is, it is very good to know that and to have someone like you leading the charge, you know, whether it's through the podcast or through the moments with people like Mickey, um, that is, it, it's, it's really important. And it's definitely something that I think people, um, will take note of whether they really know, um, any part of the, the inside of the industry. I think, I think people, um, just in general, now realize that that is a, an issue. And so uh, thank you for uh, yeah. for doing that and for being involved. Well, thanks. It's, you know, recognizing it and, and, and talking about it is the first step. And then we all choose where we spend our energy, right? We all choose where we spend our time and, and who we work with and who we give opportunity to in our work. And so uh, just trying to be purposeful with that more so than I have in the past. And I was just living, living my dream blindly. And, you know, but now I'm in my forties and I'm like, I'm seeing how things work and I'm seeing how they need to change. And I want to try and focus on turning the ship a little bit so that the next generation of female songwriters like me who comes along in my footsteps has an easier time of it than, than I have. Absolutely. Absolutely. So before we wrap this up, I want to, allow you to talk to the up and comers, the aspiring songwriters, um, the dreamers, uh, you know, there's, I, I've come across 
you know, people in, in all walks, whether they're involved in the music industry now, or even, you know, people who don't necessarily play out, but they are musicians and they just want to be a songwriter and they want to, to, uh, you know, make their way into the industry. What are some steps that an aspiring songwriter uh, should take to break into and sustain a career in the business? Mm-hmm. That's a great question. And it's an always changing question, but it comes down to two elements, really. Well, three that, that create success for a songwriter. One of them is the quality of your craft, which you can work on. One of them is your network and who you know, which you can also work on and expand. And the third is luck. And luck is the wild card, which can make or break everything, but you can't control that, that element. But you can make luck more likely to work for you by working on the first two. And so I would suggest, first of all, listening, listening, listening to as much music as you can that, that inspires you. And listen with an analysis brain, not just listening, but analyze what the song, how the song makes you feel and how it, where it impacts you, how it impacts you. Is is it certain words? Is it certain phrases? Look at how the song is constructed. Look at the patterns in it. Um, try to just become a bit of a student of songwriting from listening and doing and writing as much as possible, getting in that chair and writing. I mean, hundreds of songs. I don't mean 10. I mean, hundreds of songs, because the more you write, the better you're going to get. Even when you're two, 3000 songs in, you're still going to keep getting better every time you write. So just putting your butt in the chair to do it, doing it regularly, and then connecting with some people who do the same thing and can help lift you to the same, to to a higher level in it. So I would suggest for that to look up Nashville Songwriters Association International, NSAI. You can look them up online. Also look up uh, Songtown online. In, they're a Nashville-based company that helps educate and network songwriters. And also look up Global Songwriters Connection, GSC. That's another Nashville-based smaller boutique company that works to educate and connect songwriters. And so through those companies, you can submit your songs, get reviews on them, get them analyzed. You can do courses, take behind the scenes courses on how the business works. You can take courses on songwriting and how to make your songs more marketable, more impactful. And then through those courses, you can learn how to co-write and collaborate and find co-writers. And then you can learn how it works in Nashville and how, or in LA or New York, or, you know, any of these places that are songwriting meccas and how you break into these, into the business and, and build a career for yourself. And ultimately these companies will help you create your network because it's very much a class of, so you don't get into it by finding a way to write with the biggest songwriter on the charts. That's not going to happen. What you do is you create your network of people who are around the same level that you are and you all work together. And when one person has success, others start to have success and it becomes a class of and a graduating class. And all of a sudden, then people all across this network are having success. So um, that would be my recommendation. anyway. So sort of a, a mastermind group of, of peers that are all at the same level and you just sort of elevate each other as accomplishments happen. 
That's really cool. Absolutely. That's really cool. Yeah. And, the one and thing it's I... easier. Sorry. It's easier to no. do now because of COVID people are writing a lot on zoom. So you can be where you are and still do this um, online. And that, that means you don't have to travel to Nashville all the time to do it. Like you used to have to. So that's exactly yeah. what I was going to say. The one thing I, I didn't hear is move to Nashville. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think that's something Although that, that may be necessary. To, it may be necessary. The further you get into it, it may be necessary sure. to do. But uh, sure. At some point, you know, I think it, you, you hear a lot of these, uh, you know, a lot of these stories where, you know, you, you get these country superstars that are like, Oh, I just up and moved to Nashville, but you know, and you have to wonder like, did they go to Nashville first or did they build a little bit of a, a network or an, and a catalog before they made that move to Nashville? And, um, you know, I think that, that some young musicians could sometimes get the wrong impression of what it means to move to Nashville, um, to make your yeah. career. <laughs> yeah. I just wanted to uh to thank you again uh for being on. But let's just wrap this up with all of the important information, your website address, your social media, um anything that you want people to know about you. Sure. Okay, so my website is victoriabanks.net and from there you can uh click to get to my all my social media handles. Um, and I'm very active on there and I interact with the people that interact with me. It's not somebody else running it or anything. I'm just a songwriter. It's just me. <laughs> so, um, but I love sharing that stuff. I love sharing the information. Please do sign up on my website when you see the little box pop up to put your email address in and I'll, I'll send those songs out to you and stories out to you. I send, you know, every probably once a month or something, something will come in. Uh, to your inbox that nobody's heard before or or some little tidbit of information. So, um, yeah, and I really love connecting with people. So if anybody out there wants to reach out and talk with me or ask me a question, please reach out through social media and I'd love to connect. Awesome. And I can actually say that that's how me and you connected. Um, You actually sent out in your weekly email an email that said, ask me anything. And I said, I have a bunch of stuff to ask you. Come on my podcast and we'll talk. (laughs) That's awesome. Hey, it worked. That's it works. She answered the email. So everybody, she's not lying. Victoria, thank you so much for, for sharing your, your stories today. And um, I, I hope that, uh, that everything is well for you uh, coming out of COVID and that, uh, that things are only going to get uh, even better from this point. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It was great talking with you today. Thanks for listening to Pelham Place. Don't forget to check out the show notes for links and resources mentioned in this episode. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with your friends, family, and social circles. You can find Pelham Place on Instagram and Facebook at Pelham Place Show. And don't forget to subscribe or follow on your favorite podcast app. Until next time, be kind and do good.